to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 373 and my conversation with the Associate Professor of Percussion at the University of Virginia and Principal Timpanist and Percussionist of the Charlottesville Symphony, E. Jen Fong. We'll get to her shortly. First up, how's everyone doing? We hanging in there? We feeling good? Ready to attack the rest of the year? No? Yeah? Well, you know, in any case, I just really hope you've all had a great Thanksgiving break, had lots of rest, got to eat and sleep and nap, sometimes in the same hour, maybe see some loved ones, and I hope you're ready for a great end to your year. As for marching and mini Mizzou, a lot to report here n- next week. Because by then, we'll know how things went with women's volleyball, and we'll know the bowl game for our football team. So stay tuned there. So let's get to our conversation with today's guest, Jen Fong. This conversation is the first time that Jen and I got to talk, but it was great to get to know her further than us just being Facebook friends prior to this conversation. I was really happy to get to talk to her even more so because her name had been coming up a lot with previous podcast guests and her former UNT classmates, Jason Baker, Eric Willie, and most recently, John Lane, which made this all the more fun. Additionally, she's on the show because she was performing at this year's PASIC as part of the New Music Research Day with Northern Illinois percussion professor Greg Beyer. They did a duet for marimba and vibraphone called Dois Gestos, or Two Gestures, by composer Andre Mamari, a work that came off really well in performance, while also being really, really hard. So, great job by them, very impressed, and congrats further on. With Ejen, we get to cover a lot in this conversation, including Ejen's somewhat unusual faculty position with the University of Virginia, the history of the marching and pep band there, growing up in Taiwan, That time, she appeared on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, her varied educational career, and our usual close to the show. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on October 26th, 2023, and it begins right now. And then, and and it's it's Feng? Fong. Fong. Ejen Fong. Yes. Okay. All right. Awesome. All right. I will try not to mess that up. And my apologies in advance because. Well, yeah. That's fine. I use Fang time to time just to scare the first years. You know. <laughs> that's that's the kind of stuff I want to hear right there. <laughs> <laughs> like Doctor Fang, you know, you don't mess with Doctor Fang. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Fang. Awesome. How. Did you come in contact with this composer? Actually, uh, it was Greg that he is in the consortium that this piece was being commissioned. Yeah, because he has the tie with the Brazilian school because he was he ha- he has the, his Fulbright uh, in Brazil and and now he has a Brazilian wife. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, so it's throughout his um, connection and. I 
just I happen to have been working with him since 2018. And that's why when we want to put、um, a duet together, he's like, Would you like to play this new piece that haven't been done before? And of course, the pandemic and stuff, you know, we didn't really premiere until he came to UVA in 2022. What's your connection to Greg? So、uh, we have this very nice festival in town. And so it's just called Charlottesville Chamber Music Festival. And the directors, They were born here and raised here, but both the directors are musicians in Europe. They actually live in Europe now, but they still come back to town at least once a year just to、uh, host this chamber music festival. And Greg was、uh, one of the musicians that got invited to come in 2018. And that's when I was able to meet. With him.、Uh, yeah, because that year we need a trio. So usually it's like solo percussion person or duo percussion person needed for the festival. And that year we actually did a、uh, trio. So yeah, that was been a pleasure since then to work with Greg. so Tell me about the piece. is is Do you know if this composer you were saying that primarily writes for piano, but this is not? Is this a, a transcription or is it actually an original piece for two percussions? Yeah, it's an original piece written for percussion.、Uh, the composer himself is a pianist. So you can tell the piece almost sounds like could be done by two piano in a way <laughs>、mm-hmm. or like an intensive one player playing all four parts.、Uh, so they were. At first, when we see the you know, the music, it was like, oh, I'm not sure it can be done on marimba, you know, that type of thing. I'm、yeah. actually playing vibraphone and Greg is playing marimba.、Uh, but there were things like, so I think there were several revisions throughout the time. The Brazilian、uh, percussionists who, lead, who were leading the consortium, they actually、uh, also premiered 2022, 2019. I can't remember the. Year per se, but so I think their version and the version we're doing is slightly different because once I already learned the first version, I'm like, I don't know if I want to change it. So, so I think there are several versions floating around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. When you're t- talking about kind of the diff, it sounds like the difficulty level、uh, is is kind of up there. So, what kinds of things make it? And I know that you have a piano background as well, but what kinds of things make it so that you're like, can you tell that it's 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 a piano, someone who's written mostly for piano that is kind of translating it? Yeah, for example, like if it's for the marimba part, you know, like it's much easier. You just move your arms, like go to different ranges. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. You know, for marimba player, we have to actually maybe jump and,、mm-hmm. and the position. It's just、uh, harder to get to the notes when it's like a big jump. And also, they are very, very, very fast passages. It's much easier if we just use finger, right? But then, yeah, yeah. when we only have like four mallets, it's like, okay. And then we usually very, very fast and closed、uh, linear version motion. You want to just use two mallets, and it's like way faster than, you know, normal. 
playing. Yeah. yeah. So, so those are the some of the part. And then there's a lot of uh, like double stops on both hands together, yeah. mm-hmm. which is easier. You can switch fingers when you have those. Right, right on piano, but we only have four mallets, and then we can't switch to the other set of four. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so that's when you keep doing the double stops on the fast tempo. That's kind of crazy as well. But yeah, what well, is is all of that also kind of involved in the vibraphone part that you're playing? Just all of these different with even a smaller range. I assume it's still some of the same issues, right? Yeah, the double stop was actually more on the vibraphone part. Yeah. And also the uh, fast passages on both marimba and vibraphone part. So, yeah. Is there anything that's, uh, because this is by a composer who's Brazilian, is there anything that's specific to Brazilian style that's in this piece? I think just some harmonies has a little bit of a, it's a little kind of a little jazzy in a way and mm-hmm. um i wouldn't say it's like a typical brazilian sound i don't know exactly what that would be i was like the feeling of like a brazilian nightclub sounding sometimes oh, yeah. and sure. uh and at the time it's like oh, 5a or throughout 5a and then 6a and then 3a you know like yeah. mixed meter and yeah so it's it's a very fun piece to work on, and then I think it's a fun piece to listen to too. So, is this a world premiere, or is this a piece that you've already gotten to play with Greg? We did a consortium world premiere in twenty twenty two. Yeah, twenty. Yeah, we did that twenty twenty two April. We did one movement. We did the first movement April twenty twenty two, and then we did both movement September. 2022 yes i think that's right (laughs) it's like after pandemic all my years and date just kind of like very vague (laughs) yeah 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 i know (laughs) (laughs) after you played it was there any anything that needed to be sent back or could you consider changing this or was it, has there been any kind of uh, collaboration since then about the piece or is it kind of, we're good. Yeah, I, actually the fun, fun thing is, uh, Greg actually went to Brazil mm-hmm. this past summer and he played with other Brazilian percussionists on the piece. So they have done some like, more rebuttal and then some change some of the tempo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tempo was fairly fast because on my on piano is much easier. Yeah. And so we tried to do that tempo, you know, in 2022. But then he came back and said, like, hey, I did this like a chill beginning, you know, tempo and I like it. And then so this is what we are going to experiment um, for PASIC. And we haven't done the changing of the tempo uh as a duet yet because we haven't seen each other uh but i'm going to um denton before PASIC because he's actually he has his sabbatical uh this semester so he's in denton right now because that's where his wife teaches and so i'm going to go to denton and rehearse with him and have a recital he's going to have his recital and i'll play two pieces on his recital uh, so we're going to experiment with the tempo that he's talking about. 
since the theme for the new music research this year was uh, like a lot, not Latin American pieces. And so it just worked out. Like we were lucky, like, oh, we are actually working on this piece. And the Fabio, one of the person on the committee for organizing, organi- mm-hmm. one of the organizers for the new mu- music this year, he's like, you guys are doing that piece. You guys should put in a proposal. So yeah, so that's why we're like, oh, Cool. That's let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It is nice when the timing works out. When you think of all the times it never works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because every year it's a different topic. You never right. know what you're working on will fit topic or not. So it works out well. So Ejen, tell me what your percussion uh responsibilities are and uh performance responsibilities, teaching responsibilities, all that as they are right now. All right, so I'm an associate professor at University of Virginia right now. And my majority of my duty, it's actually performing. So it's like a 50% performing and 50% teaching in a way. My duty is as the, the most part, it's being the principal Symphonist, percussionist with the Charlottesville Symphony. Okay. And then, um, so that means we run sectionals. We have to be at every rehearsals and you, you know, you uh, organize the players and you assign parts and things like that. Um, and then I also uh, direct the percussion ensemble. I teach lesson and how I help with the front ensemble of the marching band. And uh, also I help with the percussion section with the wing ensemble. So, yeah, so that's my current duty. And like two two years ago, I also direct the new music ensemble, but that's no longer the case. Well, uh, all right, I'll, I'll, be, I'll ask more specifically about your responsibilities, but tell me about getting the job where you were before then, uh, kind of what the situation was that you you find yourself when you enter those kinds of things. I forgot to mention another uh, thing we do. It's so because the performing oriented. So I also perform chamber music with the faculty. Uh, so all the principals in the symphony are faculty at the school, gotcha. and our section are a combination of a students and community member. Okay. So it's a hybrid mm-hmm. orchestra. Interesting enough, it's this is my first real job and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is my 19th year at UVA. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah. So uh, before I was just a student all along. <laughs> so I got a job. Uh, Right after I graduated from University of North Texas as a doctoral student, I came to the state in 1995 to pursue um, undergrad, but that was a pre-college program, like study English and music. And the good thing is for music, it's a universal language. So even I can't really speak English, I was still able to take lessons and be in the ensemble. Um, so that was my first year in the States, which is 
learning English, how to speak, how to read, how to write, really. Taking lessons, still in percussion ensemble, wing ensemble, and orchestra. Uh, and then and then I was a regular student the year after. Um, so I was at Carnegie Mellon for five years, but within one year, just be uh, in like pre-college type of thing. And then uh, I went to Northwestern, um, studied with Burrett. Uh, this is Michael Burrett. Uh, and then and then I went to University of North Texas for my doctorate. Yeah. So it's all schooling until 2005 when I graduated, I got the job at UVA. You were completely done? Like you graduated and then got the job or you got the job as you were f- completing everything? Oh, I have to finish the job. I finished the school before I get the job because I was a foreign student. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So I had a, you know, foreign student slash working visa for mm-hmm. 19 years before I got the citizenship. Yeah. So I had to like finish everything in order for them to change the type of visa I have, you know, like student visa and student visa and after you work. So, I mean, I guess there might be a way if you work and try to finish, but I just don't know how. Uh, so I just figure it's quite easier just finish one thing at a time. I'm going to, because I want to follow up on some of that, because I know that's, there's a lot that's involved in, in just, and in, in visas by themselves are <laughs> a whole story. I I, I know. Um, <laughs> What time of year did you get the job? And then like when you get there, what what do you what do you what's like kind of the situation as you enter Charlottesville? So I already finished all everything, you know, my dissertation stuff. I just haven't walked yet. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So by May, I finished everything, but my graduation was August. Okay. And so I actually was like, I got a uh like adjunct position I mm-hmm. found like a, a Texas Women's University you know just yep. teaching here and there I mean I haven't taught yet but I was like I was lining up all mm-hmm. the adjunct position in, in around Dallas Denton area and then I was like okay I guess that's what I'm gonna do you know and I went back to Taiwan you're like I graduated I'm going back to going back home to see my family and then I got an email. I mean, of course, I turned in so many job applications yeah, and all that. And then I actually got an email while I was in Taiwan saying, can you come for an audition? And uh, that was like June in the summer. You, there's some, you know, that, not the time you expect to get a job call. And yeah, yeah. I was like, yes, I will go. But I'm in Taiwan right now. I. Yeah. You know, my tickets this time, I can't remember exactly if I actually have to switch time uh, returning to flight or not, because it's been a while. I just remember I was like scrambling. I was like, okay, I need need to get my recital program ready. I need to, you know, um, but now I'm in Taiwan. I don't really have access for all the instruments I need to do. Uh, But I was like, okay, I'm returning to stay and uh, give me a week (laughs) to settle in the States and then I will fly over. Uh, So I just remember I, yeah, I kind of just, after I get back in Denton, I rushed learning everything I have to learn and then pull out the program. And I also have to get some of the uh, orchestral excerpts 
back because it's a half orchestral and half teachings chamber job. So yeah, so that I know I was scrambling for sure <laughs> because I was like, oh, obviously no instrument, and I have to come within a week. I have to be able to prep myself and in a audition job audition situation, but it all worked out. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and and then when I first got into, uh, so I got a job. After I got a job, it's really late, but that's okay. Um, so I had to say, okay, I'm I actually got a salary job, so I'm turning down all the um adjunct position in Texas, and then I'm actually moving to Virginia, and it's definitely there's a culture shock when I first got to UVA uh, because it's not UVA, the program at UVA, it's not a, like a conservatory program like we have been to. Even I've never been to a conservatory, but you know what I mean? Like it's a, a lot of performance, the performance major, that type. We don't have performance major, uh, especially when I first got there. Uh, now we have a performance concentration program. At the time, we don't even have that. So it it was just a very general music uh, major, and I believe when I first started there, not even not even that many music major yet. So yeah, so definitely a little bit of culture shock, and I was, especially when I went there, uh, I remember I was like, so other than the orchestra and the, um, do I teach a percussion ensemble? You know, and they're mm-hmm. like. Oh, uh, we don't have one currently, but you can start one. I was like, okay. And it was really different. Like 2005, I can just walk into the office and say, hey, can I teach this? They're like, sure, put in the code in and go ahead, teach. Yes. Now, you know, you have to go to the curriculum committee and it's <laughs> a lot different now. Yeah. But I, basically, that's how I started percussion. I was like, there's no percussion. Can I teach you one? Sure. And then the, yeah, I think a chair is a system just like putting the code and say, okay, you can start teaching now. <laughs> you know, yeah, very different. But uh, so I reestablished, I say reestablished because uh, UVA used to have a March band within the 1950s and 60s. And I believe at that time they had the percussion ensemble mm-hmm. when they had a marching band. And then I think, I forgot the history, but like, they were no longer having a marching band, which is pet band for a long time. And I think the year or two before I got to school, the marching band reestablished again. And yeah. so I saw some music, like all music, say, uh, was commissioned or dedicated to UVA percussion ensemble, like in 1956 or something like that. Mm. So I was like, there's a percussion ensemble back then, you know? Yeah, I had to reestablish it in 2005 when I get to the job. Yeah. So that that was interesting. And then because it wasn't an actual like performance program, I remember when I first walked into the room, all the instruments were just laid out everywhere in this room. But this room was shared by, it still shares right currently with a jazz program as well. I think an old time, long time ago, even the band or orchestra even rehearsed in that room. But when I walk in, I was like, I couldn't find the like snare drum. Yeah. Where like I was glad I brought my own snare drum for my audition because at the time they couldn't find the concert snare drum 
for me yeah. to play at. And I was like, no worries. I brought my own, you know, like yeah. just typical, like, uh, I guess like for the like, orchestral audition, you want to bring your own drum. So that's kind of the vibe I, you know, that's kind of what I prepared for. And then I was so glad I did because I, we couldn't find the instrument when I got there. The first weekend I got to, I really moved it to uh, Virginia and school, first weekend of a school starts, I went into the room, just deep cleaning, yeah. <laughs> organizing the shelving. And then, but at the same time, it was also the football game. That was another culture shock to me. It was because I, I went to North, North Texas, you know, we, the drum lines are huge, but the, you know, the team wasn't that big. I mean, right, right. People don't go crazy when there's a football game in town mm-hmm. yeah. here yes people go crazy when there's a football game or when there's a basketball game you know like the traffic stops and everybody's dressed up and then the interesting thing is not uh now people are more just dressing in orange colors t-shirts yeah. stuff. but when i first got here actually the, the tradition the guys wear wears blazers and yeah. tie and the girls wear sundresses right. and so it was this uh, very interesting vibe. I was like complete changing what I thought a football game would be because I thought football game people just tailgating, wear t shirt, jeans, and go to the game. No, here everybody's decked out. Um, right. And, well, and it's not just because, okay, so I, I'll, I have something I have to tell you regarding this. Um, but the, but is it blazer, tie, shorts? Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, khakis, khakis. Khakis, yes. Yeah. Flip flop. Oh, you're right. There's some like, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, some people wear shorts because if it's hot, but yeah. always flip-flop for guys. Yes. I, I don't I don't know why, but it was like flip-flop, khaki with shorts, and blazer, and bow tie or tie. Yeah. Bow tie is very popular here. So yes. <laughs> it was a very interesting look. And then, yeah, so I remember like the, at the time, the person I worked for, the drama, and tell me like, make sure you dress up for the game. I was like, what do you mean by dressed up? He's like, some dresses, like dressed up for the game. I yeah. was like, I was just looking at him like, are you crazy? <laughs> but but then I, I understand after the first game, I was like, oh, this is what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just remember I was trying to get to school. I couldn't find any parking because no parking is allowed for you to like park around yeah. anywhere that yeah, you thought your regular parking spot. So I finally found a street parking because I just got everything from Lowe's, tried to like fix the room. And <laughs> it was, yeah, it, it was quite an experience, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but it all goes, you know, goes well. I understand better and then they'll, it's fine now, but like I remember the first week or first month, I would just really like, what's, the, what's this place? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I would imagine that when you were cleaning the room, you probably ran across a couple things like, oh, well, I I had read about this in books. I've never seen this like <laughs> triangle or you know. <laughs> yeah, they were they were just at the time they don't really have a percussion cabinet. Yeah. Really, because it's a homemade. So at the time, the horn player he has that workshop, like working shop at home. So he helped to build something. So that's there's a cover. Yes. Otherwise, there was like no nothing for 
I have nothing to put instruments in. Yeah. And even that was kind of like, you know, is it going to stay? Can I put any more symbols in this thing? It's going to uh, stay on there or not? And But of course, now it's completely changed. Now we have like nice percussion cabinets and stuff. But yeah, that first, it was like, also there's old piping in on the wall or something. So the, the cabinet actually has a hole inside. So can goes so can fit through with the piping in it. So when we put when you put the instrument in, you're like, okay, don't hit the pipe, but which is bizarre. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Oh my gosh. So so what I was gonna say back to your um football stories, I went to Wake Forest for undergrad. So big school, um, yeah. And and it's a sim, I mean, kind of sim there's a lot of similarities between that, yeah. that and UVA. And we had the same kind of culture with the with the ties and sundresses and shorts and and all that stuff with who attended the those games. But back then, this is the 90s. The band was like this student run outfit that had like uh, vet, weird vests that had they were kind of like Stanford, Stanford's mm. band, but but like their own version of it. And it was a very it's a very different environment than what you described as <laughs> what you walked into, I would bet. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that was like, oh. <laughs> have you heard? Have you heard about the what they used to do? It was kind of. It was really. I mean, what that the band that band used to do some kind of. I mean, they were. I think they were kind of unregulated, so it was just like they would just do whatever they wanted. <laughs> yes. Of. So after the marching band, you know, after I, they had a marching band, and then they don't, and then right. it was Pepe, and I think they got banned, and that's why. <laughs> That's why they reestablished the marching band back in a way because they were doing, you know, I I don't, I mean, I wasn't there. Right, sure. It was before my time. Something they they insulted the, you know, the team against, you know, the other team and things like that. So it wasn't respectful, I guess. And so they they had to get banned. And uh, I remember just got into the school, I heard about, the Pepin is saying, oh, Martian Ben's not good. And Martian Ben's like, well, the Pepin did wrong thing, just like things like that. But you know. <laughs> okay. So obviously this was like a summer, you you this was like a really quick thing, it sounds like when you get the job. <laughs> but is there a way for the department or however it's organized within UVA for you to recruit, or is that even like its own kind of odd situation? Good question, because I, in a way, I can really recruit, recruit. We don't really have an audition for the music department. We have arts supplement, but the, mm. the idea of the art supplement, so we just watch their playing online or the whatever CD, DVD they send us at the time. Uh, now we just watch online, but we can give them great like you know this is this person is really good but but it doesn't really help until there's a situation like okay we are we are going to admit all these kids but we only have you know 10 spots but there are 11 kids how are we picking the 10 out of 11 let's see what kind of supplement they have oh this guy has our supplement oh he's our supplement it's five out of five points let's get him instead of or her instead of you know, somebody who doesn't have the supplement. Yeah, so like it's a little hard for me to recruit because I have given a lot of like 
prospective student lesson, free lesson, just so they can come and try out how how I teach and stuff. And some of them I really like, but their SAT doesn't even get in. Then right. you know, then I can say I really you know would love to work with you, but if your academic doesn't pass, I can't. There's no chance. Yeah, for me to even work with you, then the people know you are here and you are hoping some student who are good at percussion also want academic challenge type of lifestyle. Yes. Then they come to UVA, then that's perfect for them. Um, Yeah, so like most of my students are double major. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a few that only music major you only graduate was one music major. Um, that's like four out of, oh, five, five out of the nine, 18 years I've taught. You know, only five people are just music major. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is like double major or not music major at all. Just taking lessons in being every single ensemble I teach, but they are not music major. That could be the case too. So, yeah. Yeah. Th- I get this is also, again, to relate back to Wake. This is some of the situation there was very similar because like the the band couldn't recruit uh, for the they can't recruit for marching band until the student is accepted because and the like similar thing like I can't if you can't get in like I can't it can't help you out I'm sorry <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah yeah and you're just hoping that these smart students have a passion for music you know yes exactly. Was part of your of the process of getting the job kind of making the symphony? Then I mean, so I, this is the part I'm 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 curious about is is was the symphony the the primary thing, and then the the teaching at UVA was like the second part of the thing? How did that? How was that kind of set up? So I can go into slightly history, and you don't know, sure. you don't have to have it uh, on the final, but. At first, uh, the music department is very, very small. So they only have academic. For the performance part, they will bring like string players from different part of the country and they just come yeah. and do a performance. Right. Or then they start like, okay, student wants to take lessons. So they will come once a week and it will start from like a string trios and then a string quartet and then slowly become a more bigger ensemble. And so the year, I think the year I got here was the first year they changed the job from the symphony job from 25% to 50% of the job. And so that's why they had to do a national search. Mm -hmm. And I just happened to be, the timing was right. So I got put in the application. Yeah, so a lot of... uh, my colleague, when I was when I first got the job, they have been in the school for a long time, but their job description hadn't changed to fifty percent yet because they only pick how many instruments to, uh, you know, do the search at the year. Yeah. So we didn't finish the whole thirteen. We have thirteen salary the principal, so we haven't really finished that thirteen until several years after I've got the job. Yeah. So, so like some people were still like 25% within the 
you know, like their job duty. Yeah, but now uh, I'm I'm not hundred percent. Still, I'm only eighty percent. But I get all the benefit, you know, like benefits and uh, health benefits and retirement because it's eighty consider full time, but just not full time, I guess. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that 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 job has like transformed quite a bit. Um, so once they start having the orchestra, they start, okay, we need to hire more principals to really make all the sections. And then, so that's how my job came about. And it was the time that they were like, okay, if we need to make it to 50%, which is more than half the duty, then we need to do a national search. And that's when the job opened up. Um, yeah, so some people... Are or the returning principal that they audition, they still got the job. But there are people who audition and didn't get the job, you know. So, yeah. So that was a interesting time as well. What's the orchestra schedule in terms of performances and rehearsals? So we uh, we function like a school year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the season is like a school season and we so the throughout the whole school year we have five excuse me five pairs of masterworks concerts. Mm-hmm. Okay. so basically almost once a month in a way and then like october we don't really have a masterwork concert but we have two youth concert the kitty concert and december we don't have masterworks because in december it's a pair of a family holiday concert yeah yeah of course yeah and so so basically even though there are only five master works but we have con- a pair of concert every month yeah except summer and winter break of course uh so yeah so we don't have concert january because that's like sort of winter break time so starting february yeah february march april and even though we don't we don't always involve students because that's a summer time, but we have a pop concert during the summer, like mm-hmm. June time. Yeah. Um, so if the students are around, great. But if not, it's just almost like a hired professional, like entirely hired orchestra. Yeah. yeah so, and then this year we actually branch out to have we're going to play Nutcracker, but with the the whole orchestra. So this is the first time we're doing the ballet in December, other than our family holiday concert so gotcha yeah that's cool do you like the city of charlottesville yes it's such a beautiful beautiful place i also you know after i got the job because it was very different than what i have you know studied so Mm. i have you know try to look for other bigger jobs and things like that or more state steady because at the time i was the only 50 percent right um so I've auditioned at different places and yeah, but then every time I come back, I was like, you know what? Charlottesville is not bad. Charlottesville is beautiful and um, a lot of culture, um, arts, uh, very robust arts programs in town and just the history of the town too. Like uh, a lot of history and UVA is just a beautiful Beautiful campus, even we call it grounds. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's just, um, beautiful all around. And it's a, I think it's a nice place to raise the family. So yeah, so I do like Charlottesville a lot. 
Yeah. Remind me, remind me where in the state it is. What is it near? I forget. So it's a central Virginia. So uh, it's like an hour drive west of Richmond. Yeah. The, I don't know if you know uh, Monticello. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, it's only 10 minute drive from my house to Monticello. Yeah. 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 I can actually just walk on a trail all the way up to Monticello. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's just where we are. Yeah. Gotcha. How far? So very, how, how far is that from uh, DC? Two, two and a half, two to two and a half hours, depending on traffic. Yeah, it's a nice central place if you want to go to like Colonial Williamsburg, you want to go to Virginia Beach or Richmond, DC. It's not too far to any of those places. Yeah, and they're just so close to like Shenandoah National Park, you know, like 30 minutes, you are on a beautiful hiking trail. I mean, even not going to the National Park, there's still just plenty of parks and trails for you to walk around. All right, well, uh, Jen, let's back up. So you said you grew up in Taiwan, and do you have any family members that are in the arts? My dad was an architect. And okay. also uh, just artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then my mom's a Chinese literature teacher. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's not art, art per se, but I think my mom and my dad was a beautiful match because <laughs> every time when my dad draw something like uh, water painting, like Chinese style water painting, and my mom will be able to just write a poem or she will write a poem for my mom, my, for my dad to write to write on the painting, you know? So, or like she, she really appreciate whatever style of calligraphy, calligraphy my dad does, my mom can recognize, oh, this is blah, 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 from blah, blah, blah time. And yeah. so, so they have that mutual interest of the Chinese art, even though they are not musicians, but they are definitely artists. And my uncle from my mom's side, um, he is an artist and musician. He went to school for art, but he actually owns a, a Yamaha teaching school. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and then he self-taught like singing and self-taught like piano in a way. I mean, of course, he went to take lessons after he started doing all those things. Uh, so he actually has a um, music school, and that's why I started music because he has a music school, and then so. I start playing, oh, go to the Yamaha uh, education courses when I was three, you know, uh, for for little kids, just listening, learning everything by road until you start reading music and things like that. Yeah. So uh, my uncle was a big part of why, how I start music. And you begin on piano as a... it was that in just private lessons? Was that at an academy? What was the situation? So the piano just from that Yamaha training school. So uh, a little bit kind of like the uh, like the Royal British system in a way, I think. Uh, but this is like the Yamaha Japanese system. So you still like go in and get uh, certified at each level. And then okay, this this level is good. Then you can go to the next one, and um, so and you not just working. And then of course, when you are like three, four years old, piano is a little too hard to play. So you start with an electronic piano. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, yeah, and the, a lot and of the things. Phone, were you on the phone books? Were you sitting on the booth <laughs> so you can you can reach everything? No, I think because they designed it for like young kids, so oh, okay. they have like different sizes of nice. instrument, right? Yeah. And I think probably also because it's like a Japanese system, so things are a little smaller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, so I just start with that, and then until like. Uh, I think I was five years old. I started taking private piano lesson, like really play not on the real piano. In Taiwan, we have this like they call it talented music program within public school. Mm-hmm. So, but you have to audition to get in, and they start at, like you can audition since uh, as early as first grade. Uh, but I didn't do that yet. Uh, I didn't audition until so they open audition on first grade. And third grade okay. for the elementary school. So I didn't do the first grade. Then I I heard about it, and then my mom's like, "Okay, if you like music, that's do it. You can just do it at public school, and it's close to our house. So why not?" And so so that's when I really start this intensive music training when I was third grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because the audition. So you have to have a major instrument, which I was I auditioned on piano, but you also have dictations and music appreciation and um, music theory test and to get in. So, so the Yamaha training helped out with that. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. So when does percussion enter your life? Yeah. So once you get into the program as a third grader. Uh, most majority of people are pianists for sure, and even if you are not having a uh, not you you didn't audition as a pianist, you still need to take piano lessons. So everybody has to take piano lessons, regardless. And then you have to pick either a second instrument, or if your uh, if your first instrument already know known like violin, then you take piano as your second. So you, everybody has at least two instruments to practice. And so I went in and we have an orchestra um, in my elementary music program. So it's like elementary school. So you have to pick an instrument. And then the orchestra director saw my hand and yeah. he's like, hmm, you have a very small hand. You should, you should just hold sticks. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like, can I be a flautist? Because uh, my my uncle, who was a musician, he really liked seeing like girls playing flute. So he had, he bought me a flute, and he even paid for my flute lessons, like wanting me to be a flautist. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't work out. <laughs> and then so I I I told the director, I was like, "Can I be a flautist?" And he's like, "No, you know, there are only like most three spots in the orchestra with too many, and you only third grade. There's a this is third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade yeah. of students. So he's like, no. I'm like, okay, I'll be a harpist. But I also like how harp sound and how the look of it. And he's like, no, we don't have a harp yet. <laughs> so, and then so he looked at my hands like, you have a very small hand. Mm. Any instrument will be kind of difficult for you to hold. So, oh, sticks. That's, that's easy. <laughs> so that's how... Basically, how I became a percussionist. Wow. All <laughs> yeah, hands. I, I know. And then, 
And I actually, I was happy when he first said that, you know, yeah. because like, I want to be, you know, I never not, I never thought about being a string. The closest string instrument was a harp. I wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. And then, so I was like, hmm, I don't want to be a percussionist. I'm like, I'll be in the back of the orchestra. You know, I didn't know any better. I was, yeah, I was like, I'll be in the back. Nobody can see me. I'm short, you know. I was like, I don't want to be a percussionist. And yeah. then he's like, but you'll be heard. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And, yeah. And then, but he's actually a bassoon player. Mm. I also teaches oboe. And he's okay. like, I'm too small to carry the bassoon around. So he's like, how about like, you try some oboe that I can teach you? Oboe. So I also was playing oboe for several years. Um, I, my parents, I mean, because my uncle, my parents even got me a Lorray for oboe. Uh, so very good quality. But after I learned both instruments, percussion and oboe, I'm like, percussion is so much more fun. <laughs> so I just kind of stopped the oboe thing. But uh, yeah, I did try out because of when he first said that, you hold sticks. And I was like, I was fighting it. I was like, no, I don't want to just hold sticks. I want to do other things. So I have to try it out. Flute, you know, the flute lesson that my uncle's paying for. And then, but then my teacher came to the state to study. So I just stopped. And then <clears throat> I also tried harp. But it's I have to go to my uncle's uh, music school, and which is a long way, um, so it's a, a a lot of traveling hours. And so I was like, okay, maybe we don't have to. This is it's hard for me to practice, so I kind of stopped. Even though I really liked it, but we stopped because there's no way for me to practice. And I I also try horn, but I didn't even pass the mouthpiece. I was like, after the mouse, I was like, no, this is not for me, you know, and then obviously oboe. And so I tried several things and I always have the piano. So after all, trying all that instruments, I'm like, you know what? Percussion is still the best. So it's okay. He told me just hold sticks. It's fine. It is the best instrument for me. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now, so I start with percussion. Well, it's almost as if you're, you turned from, uh, I'm going to be in the back. Nobody can see me to, I'm going to be in the back. This is actually great. I prefer the back now. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know any better, but like, even we are in the back, we're the most visual instrument that everybody's like searching to look at, you know, in orchestra. So yeah. So it worked out. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah when you do switch what's the what's your training like up until you then come to the united states so in the when i was in mentor school they couldn't let the percussion to be a major so i was a piano major all the way until high school uh so i was still can't be music uh, percussion major for middle school so i was still a piano major and until high school i was able to audition both piano and percussion as a major. So yeah. finally I got into my, uh, so we have to audition for, because of music program. So we had to audition for the middle school and then high school. Yeah, I was having lesson every week at school. So the teacher would come, um, the lesson teacher actually come to school to teach. So um, yeah, so I have both lesson, piano and percussion, doesn't matter if I'm major or not, but still it's two uh, each hour a week. 
and then you still involved in the orchestra. In Taiwan, that was like, I guess because the string, you kind of need a intense training. So always in the music program, we play orchestra. But then in some of the like the just public school kids, they can just pick up instrument and they are in the band. But yeah. the music program people are always in the orchestra. So I was always in the orchestra. Uh, and then in the middle school, the interesting thing is we also, not just a Western orchestra, we have to be in a Chinese orchestra as well. Yeah. That's just my my middle school program. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I think I really appreciate that. At the time, you're like, that's extra work, you know, Saturday morning <laughs> saturday afternoon uh we have to rehearse for chinese orchestra yeah. um, but yeah i now i'm looking back i really appreciate that high school yeah the same thing i still have to have um both so especially at the t- at high school i'm i was able to by that but then they are, they think, oh, percussion is actually important that could be a major instrument it just kind of you can see the progression of how percussion act a solo instrument, you know, before like they no, you are you can't be a solo instrument. Not until I was in high school, they're like, I guess, yeah, you can play solo. Yeah, you can be a major in that instrument. Since third grade, every week we have music theory, we have music dictation, music appreciation all throughout until, you know, uh, all the way to high school. That's before even you get into your audition for college. And I didn't I didn't finish high school in Taiwan. I just kind of jumped to Carnegie Mellon. So when you get to that point, how do you how do you know of Carnegie Mellon? What like how do you even decide that that's where you want to go and that you want to come to the United States? How, how does all that even happen? Yeah, good question because uh I just knew I want to study abroad. It doesn't really matter exactly where it is. My, at the time, my teachers brought, uh, studied uh, in France. It's like yeah. He studied in France. So he really wanted me to go to France and then to study Guada. I, I didn't really care. I just, I know I wanted to go study abroad sometime, somehow. And uh, actually in the middle school, there's a, boarding school i don't i don't remember the name because i didn't find out and then at the time you know my english wasn't that great so i didn't remember the name but the boarding school music like an arts boarding school came to the came to taiwan and look for students i actually got in and they they do want me to go but my parents were thinking i was too young they didn't want me to go so i didn't go so i this is but then i know i was like okay i know i have this chance i know i can go so when the opportunity come up when I was in high school, my mom just saw the news. They mm-hmm. they are holding a audition at the uh, normal at the, it's basically the teacher college, the one of the best teacher college in Taiwan. They are holding auditions uh, to go to study at Carnegie Mellon University, and because the piano teacher who teaches who taught at Carnegie Mellon, I think she retired now, but. When she uh, she taught at Carnegie Mellon, she she's a Taiwanese and she graduated from that school. So she every year she came back to Taiwan and tried to recruit students. Mm. And so usually she recruit recruit piano students. But then I was like, I'm not piano, but 
can I audition? You know, I, in a way, I just so they just they record my live audition and bring it back to Carnegie Mellon for the teacher to review. Um, yeah, so that's how that that's how I got into Carnegie Mellon, and then they didn't really understand where my age situation was. I guess <laughs> so. I auditioned when I was maybe fourteen or fifteen. Or not, maybe not fifteen yet. But then they thought I was already fifteen or something like that. I can't remember. But anyway, they accepted me uh, early, and uh, at the time they were like, "Oh wait, maybe you're too young." But then uh, the teacher at the time in the percussion department before Tim Adams, and then he retired. He really liked me, so he's like, "It's okay. He she can come." But when I first Got to Carnegie Mellon, he actually retired, and but then I got Tim Adams, so very lucky. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, so that's how I got to the states. So, how long are you? Your prep before you're part of the main, like undergrad, is that mm-hmm. how that worked? Yeah. And how long was that? This is a year. Okay. Yeah. So, like, basically, it's. I study English and then I have to take a TOEFL exam. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. that's basically that's how, yeah, so a year. And then I became the regular student. Yeah. In, gotcha. Yeah. In 1996. Are you living on campus the whole time? Those, all of those years? Not all those years, but until I was 18, now I can sign my apartment contract. And then, <laughs> then I didn't live on grounds. I mean, not in campus dormitory. Uh, but yeah, but I definitely stayed in the dorm since I was too young to really go anywhere. And then, uh, and then even, I think when I was junior, I stayed in an apartment, but was organized by the university. So I was still okay. And then, really, my last year, I was like, okay, I'm out of the university system because I don't want to buy the meal plan anymore. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, since a senior, I just start, just apartment, yeah. Gotcha. What was the first, I'm sure there were many, but what was, what, give me a, a moment when you were like, wow, this is a new country, this is a new city, this is all new, like, where you kind of got hit with all that. I don't know if I ever really had that moment. Uh, okay. I did travel quite a bit, even before I came to the States. Like just my, I went to school, I toured uh, in Malaysia, in Singapore, and in different places. So mm-hmm. I've, I've been traveling with the orchestra. So okay. it's not like first time going to a foreign sure. country. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's a little different. It's like an English speaking country than some of the, you know, Asia country, you still can skip by by my speaking Mandarin sometimes. Uh, but I do remember like my uh, just percussion friends who are in the program said they I forgot, but they told me when they first said, "Hello, I'm Mark," and I'm like hiding behind my mom. <laughs> and I <laughs> I said I don't remember, but they said no, 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 you did that. I was like. <laughs> Okay, I guess I did that, but probably I did. I just I erased that memory, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my mom doesn't speak any English, but I was like hiding behind my. Mom. 
<laughs> but it's funny because I said Mark, and now that um that friend Mark, he's actually teaching、uh, law in Taiwan. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, he married a Taiwanese girl, and he now is a lawyer in Taiwan. Wow. That's yeah, it's、weird. so funny. He's like, "No, I'm here," and now he's there. <laughs> yeah. When you get to when you get to the U.S., how would you kind of grade your own level of speaking English prior to then taking the exam and kind of and the, like all the study you had to do that first year? I think gladly, I I had intensive like music theory, music dictation background, so a lot of my College courses like music theory, music dictation, solfege—all those courses,、yeah. to me, were English classes. Okay. To me, I I already、oh, know I all that information.、Mm-hmm. I knew how to do all that stuff. I just don't know the English name for it.、Sure. <laughs> yeah. So those were more like English classes to me.、Um, so I think,、uh, luckily, I have that background. So I don't feel like I don't know anything. I should know a lot of stuff. I just don't know the English, so that helped out、um, definitely because you find some、uh, common grounds in a way, and then and also because the effort, the piano Hanali piano teacher's effort to go back to、uh, get students from Taiwan every year. So there were a lot of older, like a master program. There were a lot of Taiwanese students.、Mm-hmm. So. It's really helpful because I came to so maybe that's why I don't feel like a complete shock because I saw a lot of Taiwanese older schoolmates and they still cook they cook Taiwanese food for me so I don't have to eat American food every day. Yeah. <laughs>、um, yeah. So I think that really helped. I I was well taken care of, you know, because the teacher is Taiwanese and then this older schoolmate was Thai- Taiwanese and and they, everybody know I was much younger. And、mm. so everybody took care of me. As I mean, when you are outside, away from home, the most important is having friends. And I was very lucky to have a lot of good friends along the way. Tell me about taking lessons with Tim. Oh, that's it's great. I mean, especially the first year where I cannot speak any English, I remember、uh-huh. very clearly. He just played. He just like do that. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, all right, cop, copy me, okay, copy him. You know, like basically, just like even no English, he just like, no, this way. I'm just、yeah. like, and then just imitate. Yeah, a lot of lesson with him just basically do what he does. It works for him. Then you know, just do what he can do. Then, <laughs> yeah, of course, you can't do all the thing he can do, but then you try to. That's a goal. Mm-hmm. To be able to copy him or be able to do what he can do, it's a lot of that. It was great, actually, because Tim, I was、um, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. What? What do you mean? I was on the show with Mr. Rogers. You were you were on the show? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome! Yeah, you if you find the episode, you cannot recognize me at all. Because I had the shortest ha- hair my、uh-huh. entire life doing that <laughs> filming. Like I had like a boy haircut.、Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't know. I just thought to try at that time, and then and then Tim said, "Oh, I'm going to be at Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Would you like to be my student for the show?" 
I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> and all my classmates, you know, like friends in the department, like, were so jealous of me. <laughs> of course, yeah, <laughs> but I was like the only like foreign student, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it was a kind of showing like, you know, international, internationally, like, for the department too so but it was great because i got to meet mr rogers and he talked doesn't matter on camera or off camera he talked the same way yeah he's the same genuine beautiful person he is you know like i didn't perform in the show but during the break and he's like so can you play me something and remember like team's like yes she will definitely play for you like and then so team's like why don't you play Keiko Abe is winning the Bamboo Grove for, for Mr. Rogers. So that's why I did. And he appreciated so much. You know, he's like, that was he's just like such a genuine and beautiful person. Yeah. Yeah. And then the funny story about that shoot, that, shoot, that filming, it's, I never called Tim Mr. Adams, but you know, for PBS, yeah. for. <laughs> Uh, but Mr. Rogers, I have to call Mr. Adams. And I've never called him that. And so it took eight takes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was so nervous. Of course, they say, camera, you know, like, and then I, I have to, I mean, the backstage, yeah. and try to call Mr. Adams to uh, get his attention. So I can have my lesson. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, at the back door, I was like, Miss, uh, I just couldn't say the mister, you know? <laughs> I still remember, I still remember those eight takes. Because I, and I was like, finally, I was able to say Mr. Adams. And they're like, could you say it? But you need to say it like, Mr. Adams, you know, like calling him out, calling him, yeah. get his attention. It's like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's hard. <laughs> then you're like, time, you know. Tim, no, cut. <laughs> exactly. At the time, I never called him Mr. Adams, so I was like so hard for me to say it. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. <laughs> did did, uh, did did uh, did Mr. Rogers after you played when did, did he have some? Was he like you know? Can you how about like can you rotate your wrist a little more? Um, <laughs> Give me like some real specific marimba. Uh, marimba no, that would have been awesome if you would. I wouldn't. I would believe you if he told me he, he totally did that. <laughs> I think he was just amazed anything you can do. You know, like he was so, he was just so nice and so open. And then like you just you play, and he just he appreciate any beauty in a way. He's just such a beautiful person that way. And uh, yeah, the. I, Episode episode is called uh, Noisy and Quiet, I think, because our team was showing him a lot of different orchestral instruments like cymbals, bass drum, and all that. And that was it's like a yeah show and tell with Mr. Rogers. That, but at the time, the way that they like going to leave Carnegie Mellon, it's because Team Adams has a lesson coming up, and so I'm um, that student coming in, and I was like, at the end, you can see me like playing some timpani, <laughs> and then their camera just go away by there that's so cool that's really great aside from the kind of the lessons what else were was part of the percussion experience at Carnegie Mellon 
So we definitely have to do, uh, we do percussion ensemble as well. And then like percussion literature class. Mm-hmm. So all we like, because it's a smaller program at the time. So yep. you, I, if I'm an undergrad student, I do everything with the grad student. I might not understand everything, but I was there, you know? Uh, so yeah, so we have like the, we have mallet like company mallet making classes and like uh literature class uh, repertoire class a lot of uh symphony you know like um <clears throat> excerpts class yeah. um i mean of course it's it's not like classes like i'm teaching now because everything is set time it's like this is the time you're doing this this is the time because uh, as team is schedule you know they symphony travels and also so it's every week he will post when he can teach you lessons on the on the door and then you go sign up your time it's just different than what we do now uh but i remember it's just like as soon as that it's posted everybody's like rushing in to write the time to sign up and it could be because if you have tour then you don't see him for a couple weeks then you have to make it up all the time that was missed so sometimes you'll have like two hour lessons or like we have a big studio class lessons type of thing we also have percussion ensemble uh, i think the cool thing is that when we have those large ensemble like wing ensemble new music ensemble or orchestra you see team like just sometimes today and that's it and you're like oh okay he's there <laughs> you know and then you'll come and say coach at the same time and yeah so when he's in town he come checking out the the rehearsal as well so i think that's helpful because like really hands-on um coaching instruction yeah yeah so i think it's great that the way that my that my orchestra set up right now currently and also the way i'm teaching uh, ensemble like uh, we ensemble it's like I'm there yeah I'm there and coach right away hands on how do you then get connected to uh, Michael Byrd and Northwestern because the big uh, Taipei International Percussion Con- Convention that Drew Percussion Group put out okay yeah every three years uh, yeah so even I was I was a student in the state already but I I will find a beginning of my uh, yeah study, especially like uh, yeah 1993, 1996. You know, like I will go back and mm-hmm. during the summer, during the summertime. So yeah. I will go try to get the this not the season pass, but like the whole package. So I get to since I when I go back to Taiwan, I don't have classes. I'm just there, and so I try to go to every concert during the convention and so i yeah so 1999 i met michael burrett in taiwan and uh, i just really love his energy and his performance so and i found out he teaches at northwestern and i would just talk to him after the concert i was like can i go audition you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he's like of course uh yeah and so that's uh, how yeah, that's how I went to Northwestern because of that connection. When you go to Northwestern, do you have an assistantship? It's a grad assistantship. Sure. And my job was working in the dean's office. 
Okay. It was really cool because our dean at the time, he graduated from Carnegie Mellon. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was his assistant, like just answering phone call, basically like, taking notes of who calls or who comes into the office. It's not a hard job. And it's cool because we actually both study with the same teacher. Nice. <laughs> but he's so much older than me. Uh, mm-hmm. But we talk about a moth uh, um, was an arithmetic, uh, Doc Rose is arithmetic teacher. Okay. Um, yeah. So we had a mutual teacher, even though we are like so many different generations. And so that was really cool. And I remember he, my main job usually was when he's in the office, I go get him breakfast and coffee. And I need to make sure sh- make sure to leave enough room for a lot of cream, but then cannot be too much cream because then the, the coffee is too cold. I just remember that. Wow, that's a lot. Of, that that is a lot of pressure, actually. <laughs> yeah, but that was my main assistantship. It was working in the office, things office, and then yeah, and that cover some of my stipend to go right. to Northwestern because Northwestern is very expensive. Yeah, yeah. No, I know I I I knew that as much um with those schools. I what when you start working with with Michael Burrett, what things are similar different uh in terms of approach, in terms of literature, what's what what do you what are you finding that like you start working with him that may have been some places where you're like I needed this kind of work. In percussion. Yes, yes. Um, so, like, Cardi Mellon was a lot of uh, orchestral stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we I still play a lot of marimba repertoire just because I love it, and the team will let me do whatever pieces I want to do for mm-hmm. marimba. Uh, but at that time, I start think, thinking, and, like, you know, if I go back to Taiwan to teach, what things can I bring that's different? Um, so I start, you know, everybody else is playing Steven Grip. I was playing Burden Grip. And I was like, you know what? I want to learn how to pull Steven Grip, but like start from like beginning and do well. Yeah. And so I actually met with Xi Yi when she was in Taiwan. Yeah. And I didn't even use the marimba. It was just in Xi's hotel room, which yeah. is learn how to hold Steven Grip. Yeah. But I know I was already going to Northwestern. So once I got to Northwestern and Burn knew, I mean, I auditioned with Burn and Grip. And then, but I was like, I want to get good at Steven Grip. Mm-hmm. And he's great on all these permutations and things like that. So, yeah, so I really study how to hold Steven Grip and play Steven Grip on Marimba with Burn. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that was my main focus. And so I was really practicing technique. So really funny. I was a master's student at Northwestern, but I was play, practicing yellow after the rain. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I was like, bop, 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 bop. you know, like in the practice yeah. room, practicing. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the undergrad. Northwestern students not go to play that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the meanwhile the the freshman walks in. They're playing velocities. Yeah, and you're, yeah. you're like, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> that's it. <you> know? <laughs> oh yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was quite different, you know. I was like, wow, yeah. that's a piece I play in my, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> fourth grade or something. But I'm mm-hmm. like refreshing it in a different grip, you know. So it was cool. And I was trying to practice. I was just practicing just warm up. Yeah, it could be like two, three hours a day, just because that's yeah. the grip I don't know how to hold. You know? Right. Yeah, but after a year, uh, I have always loved time mickey's time for marimba yeah, yeah. so i use the steven grip and play time for marimba after a year with burrett so yeah that's awesome yeah I, I i honestly i had a kind of a similar experience uh with my masters with learning and and i you and you kind of explained this where um, you know, you, you, when you put in the, once you kind of get the time in with the grip, you can actually get through literature pretty quickly because like you, everything else works. Like basically <laughs> you just have to get, you just got to get the hands kind of, kind of right. And then you're, then you're good. Yeah. So that's why my focus was focusing the grip. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, did you like being in the Chicago area? Oh, not the weather, but <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, yeah, I understand. <laughs> but I love the view. I remember that the the practice room, and if we after several hours of practice, you just come out and then like a sitting lobby area. You sit down and you look through the Michigan Lake. It was mm. just like, oh, so refreshing. And you're like, okay, I can go back to the practice room now. It's just. It's beautiful and beautiful big city. Actually, people are quite nice. Like yeah. I know people are like, oh, big city, you have to be careful and stuff. And I remember I was like trying to figure out how to take the L to whatever, wherever. I was looking at the map. And then people just come up to like, do you need help? Where are you going? Okay, you need to take this and change to this color. Like, you know, people generally were very nice. Yeah. It's kind of different than big city like New York, you know, like people actually were helpful and like I'm not annoyed by you not being able to find your places. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. But I say weather is because, you know, there's no snow days in Chicago, right. not like North Texas or UVA. It's like, oh, snow, that's a snow day or something. And I remember like a snow just shuffle, shuffle, shuffle on the side of the road. So sometimes when I try to walk to the music building, I feel like I can't see anything because the snow just piled up you know, on the sidewalk. And you're just like, okay, it's almost as tall as me. How am I going to walk <laughs> to, through this tunnel to find my building? So I remember that a lot. <laughs> When you finish your time at Northwestern, are you, do you decide, are you like, I need to just keep going? And and I kind of part of this, part of the reason I'm asking this is what was the status of your, of your, of your visa situation as this, as you're going from degree to, to degree here? It just keep, uh, you're just changing to student visa to student, different student okay. visa. It's just changing the school. So after master degree, I, I got my master and then I call home. I yeah. was like, I want to come home now. I've been out for like six years. Yeah. Um, I want to go home. And my parents was like, yeah, we missed you. Come home. No, no problem. Come home. And then I wasn't planning to audition or anything. 
for grad school. I was just like, I'm going home, right? And then I guess my mom told, not I guess, so my mom told my percussion teacher in Taiwan. And then he basically called, I forgot if he called me or he told my mom to call me. I forgot a little bit. They said, no, you are not coming home until you got your doctorate. Wow. He's like, there are too many masters walking around in Taiwan now. So oh. don't come home. If you want to find a decent job, don't come home until you have your doctor. So I was like, oh, okay. Now what do I do? I'm yeah. kind of late in the game again. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to lay in the game for the audition. Um, so, uh, but Michael Burr is like, I'm trying I, I thought about maybe stay at Northwestern, but I know it's very, very expensive. So it's not the best option for me in a way, unless I can get this teaching assistantship. But they, the the DMA student was still there. They are not leaving. So I don't think it's, uh, I don't think I have a spot anyway. So Burris suggested Mark Four. Let's go study with Mark Four. And he showed me like, and now I know about Northwestern. I mean, North Texas, because, you know, she went there. Uh, and that was one of the schools I knew about, even when I was, like, elementary school or, like, middle school student in Taiwan. I know North Texas, huge percussion school and the famous percussion school. So when he said, like, yeah, you, why don't you try audition for North Texas? And I was like, okay, I'll do that. Um, yeah, so I, I did, I know I was the last set of audition people, or I mean, even, I don't know if I'm even there for the regular audition day. I know I was late. I was like the last person audition for DMA basically. Um, yeah. So since I was the last person, so after my audition, uh, Mark four basically say, would you like to come? And we'll give you a teaching assistantship. So awesome. Yeah, because I was the last person. They already heard them all. So they are like, yeah. okay. I love, I know Denton's not beautiful. That was like the first city I went that was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the people there were super, super awesome. You know, Mark Four and Christopher Dean. Um, yeah, so they, they just take me toward campus. And after I found out there are so many practice rooms that you can use, yeah. everybody has its own practice room. You don't have to fight for it. Like Northwestern, every Monday morning at 7 a.m., we all line up outside the room. As soon as the doctor student put the sheet, practice room sheet, it's just like a million hands. <laughs> like, you know? Like blocking uh, hands to get like <laughs> It's sign up for practice time. And then when I, when it's like so different. And when I go to North Texas, they're like, oh, you can have your own practice room. You have your key, your own room to practice. Whole year. I was like, what? You have your own room? That's so great. It was like, okay, awesome. I'm coming. <laughs> but I mean, also just because of both Mark Four, Christopher Day, which is, they were just so awesome. So. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I was. I'm just very, very, very happy that I went to North Texas. So, 
your name has come up with some other guests when I've asked them about their North Texas time. Who else was with you when you were at North Texas? Definitely. Um, yeah, there, there were so many great people in yeah. North Texas. I mean, it's a big school, but yeah. and it's, there are just beautiful friendship. It still happened. You know, we still mm-hmm. talk all after all these years. Um, so John Lang, who was yeah. just uh, be my guest this past April, mm-hmm. um, and then Erica Willie, very good friend. Um, I saw him at the um, North Carolina Day of Percussion, mm-hmm. um, and Jason Baker. So John, John, Eric, Jason, and me, um, mm-hmm. and also Rob Moore. We were a uh, percussion group together. Yeah. So. Yeah, so these are the people I'm definitely close with because we, you know, we practice a lot together. Uh, but uh, yeah, well, but I also, you know, I also went to school with Sandy Benick and um, um, some some other folks. Great time! It was a special year years during that time. We get to study with different teachers for different instruments. So even I'm not a drum set player at all. Mm-hmm. I was able to study with SOF, you know, and mm-hmm. I was able to study Gamelan and Vibraphone with S. Smith. Um, and we are very good friends. And I have I even went to Bali with S. Smith. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, to study Yang. Um, so we traveled to Bali together and study Yang together. Um, yeah, he he played at my recital. I uh, I'll get there while young. He, if you ever talk to Ed, he might talk to the story. Like it's because my recital, we had a we had a gamelan ensemble at mm-hmm. UNT. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because before my recital, there were no gamelan, and then mm-hmm. I I heard him play get, get there while young. I was like, I love this thing. How do I learn this? And he's like, You can come study with me. And so I the my how I. Oh, I pay him for my gamelan. Again, there why lesson was I cook. Oh, nice! <laughs> so I cook for him, and it was a, it was with other um, other friends and then as well. So we'll go to his house, and then we'll cook. I'll cook mainly, and then he and then we'll just enjoy music, learning gamelan, eating food, and drinking wine. That's how we learn gamelan. <laughs> Oh, that that's awesome! Did you have a um, if either like a lecture recital or a finishing document? What was what was the kind of the conclusion of that degree? Yeah, so I had a dissertation, uh, so lecture recital, and my dissertation was about the nineteen eighty six um, the the commission uh, the velocity and um, dragmans the reflections reflections on nature of water yeah so i was doing those two pieces i didn't do the the third one but i was doing the those two like uh, that was my dissertation the analysis and comparison about those two commissions an ea commission in 1986 because that's one of the biggest uh the first one of the first biggest commission like that with from major composers so yeah. Yeah. What was it? Well, what, what, about, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, anything kind of 
that's related to that that's you know maybe not well known about either the commissioning process or anything related that was you learned while doing all the research it was just cool that uh i was able to interview schwanger i was mm. able to interview uh, in person because it just happened that he was a guest to for the wing symphony mm. at the time and so i was like can i interview you about velocities you know uh yeah so that was cool i was able to do that and then i and it was also you know that at the time you know, when you were a student like will emerge and then the house steven those are big names and you're like you're like i hope they will answer my email you know yeah. like and then you were able to talk to them and right. things like that it's just like very cool yeah shwander was saying like that and then it sounded like it was, I think people probably know that. He, his goal was like to write a marimba piece almost out of our limit, you know, like nonstop play and see yeah. how, <laughs> how your endurance can, can be, you know, like how marimbas, yeah. how long endurance can marimbas be to play the piece. So that was his goal. And mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, to write well done, to Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, so at the time, he was like, yeah, if ever anybody asked me to write another Marimba piece, it would be much, like, beautiful and, you know, that at the time when he, when I was auditioning, I mean, when I was interviewing him. So, yeah, I can remember a lot of things now. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's kind of like, okay, my dissertation is done. Good. Yes. <laughs> Okay, well, I finish out with a segment called Random Ask Questions. So, all right, first question <laughs> is, first question is, what's an issue in percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? I don't think anything is driving me nuts, really. I'm kind of like, I'll just go with the flow type of person in a way, just from my own experience i guess uh i feel like if if i look back if i can learn like if i don't just focus on marimba so much or you know certain things i like so much mm -hmm. then i feel like we could be more well-rounded yeah i guess like for now like also in the percussion ensembles assignment type of thing some yeah. people just like I don't want to play battery. Don't assign me battery. Or like some people say, no, no keyboard at all. No keyboard. You know, you're just like, I wish people can be more well-rounded. And I wish myself too. Like I um, can't play drum set. You know, I wish I could have done that more, you know, uh, that type of thing. So it doesn't really drive me crazy, but um if there's so I that's why I was like I really appreciate North Texas. If it's not for North Texas barrier, <laughs> I would probably never touch a drum set. But I have done the drum set just not well, but I have done it. You know, like uh so I appreciate the system that you know you have to do everything, you have to at least experience everything. And yeah, otherwise it's like you assign a very simple, even just drumming like Car and not even snare drum, just like tom tom. And the student comes to you like, I can't count. I was like, What do you mean you can't count? 
how are you playing in the mallet part if you can't count? I don't count. I just listen and follow the wing. I'm like, what? You don't count? You cannot be a percussionist if you don't count. More well-rounded percussion education will be good. Next question. Take this wherever you want to go. And you can kind of put the qualifiers on it as you want. Being in the percussion world as an Asian woman. Okay, I guess I just, I know a lot of them. <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I know a lot of Asian women percussionists. I guess it's still a rarity in the States. Uh, but uh, if you know them, they're all doing pretty well. Cynthia <laughs> and Chi and... Um, and Minghui, and you know, they are all doing pretty well. Of course, there's not as many, but I, I mean, it's just that when I, I grew up in Asia, so I see a lot of those, a lot of them, and a lot of us, uh, because I mean, also in the Asian culture, you see less men playing music than women in a way, because men, you're supposed to go to be a doctor, engineer, or, or you know, um, lawyer to earn money <laughs> because music is not going to make you can earn money. So usually it's the fa- uh, family-wise, they don't encourage boys to learn music, but they encourage girls to learn music. So I was totally encouraged to study music when I was growing up. And so a lot of uh, even though my teachers in Taiwan were were male, like a true percussion group, like the principal players are all like not all, but like women, a lot of women. So, um, and then studying marimba, you know, like Keiko Abe and Momoko, they they are all female percussionists, and then um, and a lot of Japanese or female. Marimba player also study with Nancy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's less to see like multiple percussion player that who are women and Asian women, I guess. Yeah, but there are a few, and also there are a few in Europe. Actually, it kind of ties into what I was saying. Like, if we can be more rounded like learn um get to play everything not just particularly joe you will see a lot of asian women um keyboard instruments right so maybe more all-rounded will be the i think for me will be the goal and i do try to venture out so i play timpani and play the uh solo bass drum pieces and you know things like that Great. All right. Some other other questions more on the fun side. Um, I'm going to I'm going to follow up on your cooking question or your your cooking for which is what is your biggest kitchen mess up? Oh, (laughs) messed up. Yes. uh, I think my husband still (laughs) teases me about it. (laughs) I have because I would have rice cooker, you know, that's the easiest way to make rice. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember how long ago was this, but I actually made rice once without water. I've completely 
forgot putting water in the rice. I just put, I, I, I didn't, I, that's a that's a thing you can do. <laughs> no, I guess no, can't. it's not. <laughs> I wasn't that the big of the messed up I've done because I just like wash the rice and then yeah. put it in and then push the button and start cooking. And then by the time we have to eat, my husband opened the cooker. He's like, these are not cooked. What did you do? You shouldn't be able to mess up rice in the rice cooker. But I somehow did that because I completely forgot adding the water in the <laughs> to make the rice. Wow. I know. He still teased me about it. And then my other friend heard about it. He's like, see, now you just see how tired she was being, yeah, you know, right. being a there mom. Exactly. Yeah. There it is. Yep. That is the correct answer, Ejen. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on the flip side, what is your, um, you have a specialty that you make for guests or like your a dish that like is kind of your favorite to make? Uh, there are several because, they, I mean, my kids are sweet. They they will be eating something and they will be like, mommy, why aren't you a chef? You know, like. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's my son speaking, okay. I guess. Um, yeah, so I I know there were several dishes they want to, when I'm in college, they probably want to come back to eat it or they want to learn how to make it when they are in school. And it's a very usually the simple, very simple ones that uh, last long. So I do this uh, several dishes. One is just a roasted salmon. And then after that, I don't, even add much seasoning to it, mm-hmm. but uh, just just salt. That's it. But yeah. afterwards, we will eat it with seaweed and wasabi. It's almost like a sushi, but with the cooked salmon. Oh, and this, and then the kids they wrap their own. Like they just use rice and seaweed and yeah. some wasabi soy sauce. And if I got fancy, I'll get the, like ikula fish eggs from Wegmans or, you know, yeah, yeah. to add some. And then with like cucumber or green onions. And, and the fun part is they wrap what they want in the seaweed. Yeah. So cook the salmon. Then that's very easy. Like 18 minutes, you're done. And I usually will put broccoli around it to roast it at the same time. At 18 minutes, it's perfect for broccoli and salmon all done in at the same time. That yeah, sounds incredible. And, yeah, so that's that's very easy and quick, yeah. and they love it. And then also like, there's a garlic chicken dish. Mm-hmm. I usually use thigh. Yeah, I will cook down the stove first to crisp up the skin in one side, and now put the green bean underneath, and then put the chicken back on the green bean and roast it in the oven. And just a lot of garlic. But the recipe usually calls for like adding the butter. I don't think it's necessary because the, you know, the fat from the chicken thigh already, and my kids would devolve the green bean that way. <laughs> you know, yeah. And then there's also like the baked, uh, like oven baked fried chicken. Yeah, it's kind of my own mix. Um, so they are, you can buy it from like store, like those shake, the bacon shake type of thing. But I I do my own mix so. And they really like that as well. And the recently, the most thing that they said recently, they say like, "Mommy, why aren't you the chef?" It's a uh, rack of lamb. I did the rack of lamb and fingerling potato. I think 
yeah, and that's the land was the one that they were like, this is so good. Oh, that's right. It's pumpkin season. I also, this every year during the pumpkin season, I will make this pumpkin with stuffed, just different things, but usually it's bread, bacon, um, some cream and green onions and sometimes I add sausages and just bake a whole pumpkin together. And they will eat a whole pumpkin, sometimes even the skin. <laughs> yeah wow so, that sounds so, incredible <laughs> so not i mean and then i'll time time i'll cook chinese i don't even talk about the chinese part because i'll just see what what's in the fridge and i'll like cook yeah. up and then sometimes like my husband's like this is the best dish you cook cooked you know yeah. but sometimes i don't even remember why i did because whatever is in the fridge and right. i just stir fry it mm-hmm. that yeah <laughs> so great that's awesome. But I do love cooking. Yeah. And like, um, so like when we were in Poland, mm-hmm. the Philharmonic actually asked us to several questions to put on the program. And they mm-hmm. did have a question like, if you are not a musician, what would you, would you be? Mm-hmm. And my answer was like, I think I'll be a chef because cooking or baking make me happy. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Make me so hungry. <laughs> Which is the right, that's the right thing. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's great. All right. Uh, has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? Actually, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, I don't think anybody anybody tried to imitate me. I don't, yeah. I, if they do, I just don't know, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, I mean, I do know like my students say like when I'm upset with them, I guess I I just don't talk. Oh, I just like very quiet. I just like not talking, and they say that's scary because <laughs> it's just a just a just like a blank state. Like you just nothing. I right? just like I guess I'm just like this. <laughs> yeah, and and that's usually all you I'm did. like a yeah. That's all they need. They just need you yeah. to give them that look and they everything snaps right back, right? Because I, they say I'm like usually like a very cheerful person and very warm. And then mm-hmm. suddenly I'm just like very cold, I guess. And they just like, uh-oh. And it's not like, it's not like, I'm, it's not even like I'm scary in a way. They're like, oh my God, we're disappointing, Jen. What have we done? <laughs> right. So I guess they sometimes they will do that look to me. They like sometimes they're like, "Yeah, you just not talking." I'm like, "Oh, that's how I do it." Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, what is a great movie and what is a terrible movie? I would say recently I watched. I mean, I haven't seen the movie that much recently, but the last one I watched was a Maverick. I really liked it. Yeah, that was you know, great. Top- yeah. yeah, I really, I really liked it. It's definitely not to go. I'm, I can't say that's my old time favorite favorite, but I think it's a great movie. Yeah, uh, the kids haven't watched it yet, but I think they will love it too. I, I do want them to watch it at some point. Yeah. Um, so about like watching movie and things is like, this is something we do as a family, mm-hmm. and so we have a projector at home, awesome. and so we watch all the anime. Oh, we okay. Crushed. So much anime, and we crushed all the Marvel movies, Doom okay. Pandemic, of course, all the Star Wars, 
including the animation. Oh wow! All right. Oh, oh my God! It makes those movies so much more understandable after、oh. you watch the the animation.、Mm. It ties in everything、yeah. together.、Uh, and we watch a lot of、uh, Japanese anime.、Mm. So we have finished all the Naruto, finished all the Bleach. Demon Slayer. We are waiting for the last、uh, last series to finish, and then we'll watch it. And then we are crushing One Piece right now. Like there's some five stuff I'm missing right now. But oh, Hunter Hunter, of course, my all time favorite. Sorry, these these are not movies, but these are no, it's good. This works. Yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. My all time favorite is Hunter Hunter.、Um, yeah, and I also read the. Comic book too.、So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a big comic book person, an animation person,、okay. and movie. I it's just a little harder because it's longer. So、yeah. I don't. My little one is eight. He can watch movies, but you know he has to go to the bathroom at the same time. So it's like we don't. Okay. Right. <laughs> so it's like we can't. We don't go to movies as often as this.、Yes. Watch at home since、mm-hmm. we have the projector set up at home, so it's kind of、yep. like a movie experience at home. And then we can pause for him. Yes,、so. of course.、Nice. Yeah, but we try. I try to do that with them. If I don't have to teach at night, we try、mm-hmm. to watch one episode a night or、yep. one or two, depends on time. And it's like our our like bonding time,、yeah. you know. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm gone a lot. So sure. Yes. Yeah. So it's nice that we we find our common interest.、Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Then what about a bad movie? I kind of just erase bad things in my mind, but <laughs> fair but enough. I but I usually I'm not a type of a silly. Well, silly movie is fine. I I guess a silly plus gross type. I don't like、oh, it.、Yeah. But I don't think it's a bad movie. I think people you enjoy. Like, I think I will. I enjoy the plot. I just can't get by from puking part. You know, like、yeah. uh, hot top time machine type. I think、oh, I'm、yeah. fine with the plot.、Yeah. I just can't. I have to stay away from the puking, and now I can come back to watch it. I guess、yeah. it's not a bad movie though. Right. I think because my husband loves it, but <laughs> I just there are parts I just can't stand. Yeah. No, no puking in the Egen movie canon, please. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, what's a what's a favorite book? And this can include,、uh, you know, like the graphic novels and the series and that. Yeah, and- I, I love Hunter Hunter.、Uh, okay, <laughs> awesome. Sorry, I I don't I don't read a lot of the books. I guess I read some of Chinese. Book because I if I don't read Chinese writing book then I don't really speak Chinese at all in a、mm-hmm. way and my mom is Chinese literature teacher and just, every time I talk to her she's just like oh correcting my pronunciation correcting the use of words of course all the time like、yeah. all the time <laughs>、yeah. so I try to keep up somehow so I'll read like some Chinese novel and things. I also just try to find ways to bond with my kids, so I、mm-hmm. that's why I watch comic books,、um, so we can talk about it. They are like, "Have you seen blah 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 blah?" You know, like things like that. Especially if I'm gone so much, and if、yeah. I can 
you know, talk to them in their terms in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. Where is, because you mentioned the travel, where is somewhere that you have not gone to that you still want to get to? Oh, yeah. Uh, Australia and New Zealand area I haven't been. And now I do want to go to Alaska. Mm. You know, that's, I heard that's beautiful. <laughs> so I want to go there too. And then Scandinavian country. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends there. Yeah. So I hope I'll make it there sometime, you know, like Johan Bridgers there, right? And I have um, several uh, friends from different festivals I played, uh, basses and violinists. So they're like one in Denmark and a couple in Finland and then pianos from Finland I've worked a lot with. So I wish, I hope I will be able to make it out there. Do you have a sports fandom? I'm so boring. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. (laughs) A lot of people thought like, you know, because of the way we move behind the instruments and we have to play so many things using our legs and everything. You must be really good at sport. I was like, Oh, just totally the opposite. The worst subject at school for me was sports. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i i didn't even watch any sports until uva because you oh. is such a huge sports school well that's not true when i was little i did watch baseball with my dad okay because baseball is really popular in taiwan and japan right, right. so i did watch baseball on tv though not live mm-hmm. with my dad but then i kind of forgot about it because i haven't done it for so long yeah. Um, and now I didn't watch anything until UVA. Now I started catching, you know, the basketball and yeah. football still, you know, <laughs> they put so much money in it, but still a lot of improvement they can do. Yeah. Um, yeah, basketball, UVA basketball is very exciting. Um, and now our swimming, yeah, our swimming is very exciting. Oh, UVA. cool. UVA swim, especially the women swim mm. are and they are uva are the yeah i think they are the u.s representative olympics i don't like follow them all the time i just read the news like oh great awesome you know and, yeah, yeah yeah well you had the you had like the weirdest two years where your basketball team loses in the you know in the first round and then they win the championship the next year. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that was a weird time because Charlottesville was certainly on the map. Yeah. You know, because two very different things. Because, yes. uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, the right wing thing. And then, then yeah. yeah. And then we won the championship. So it was like, Wow, Charlottesville has been talking about like for two full years because two very different events. Yeah. Yeah. What I I can't imagine. What was that the 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 right wing thing? What, what was that like to just was that just miserable? It seems like it was a it's it was that when it happened, I was not in town. Okay. Luckily, when that happened, I was in the festival, so we were all out of town. Uh, but then we heard about it, and then it was just it was a shocking. And then also the leader, they were they were music students. 
mm. from UVA. Long yeah. time ago, of course. So people will come into the department and say, "Hey, we just see that record. We want want to know." They're like, "No." Even though they are not doing the right thing, but still, that's their record. You know, like we can't just show you their record. We cannot just expose them like that.、Um, and yeah, people was like they were music students. Well, I was like, well, yeah, but that doesn't, you know. But we are not involved. <laughs>、yeah. The music department was not involved, and of course, we have to change like the names. Like、right. the whole town, like my kids' school, elementary school have name had the name change. Change.、Yeah. We haven't. Our department hasn't done the official name change, but we haven't been using McIntyre much.、Mm. You know, we just say, "Oh, Department of Music now." But before it was McIntyre Department of Music. But it's just kind of like, I'll just say Department of Music. But we haven't had the official name change yet. But, I gotcha. Yeah. Right. Last couple strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you. I <laughs> after playing so many new music and strange music. Oh yeah. I don't think anything is strange anymore. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess when I first encountered it,、um, but I don't know. I guess it's just because people see how I move behind the instrument.、Uh, I tend to be the one if there's a. Some instrument, some movement involved, or if the if they say the percussionists have to carry the drum and walk out of the stage, I will be that person. <laughs> Just be people. Usually, yeah, people will be like, "Oh, there's a movement involved, or there's a dance involved for that percussion part." Oh, that's Eugene's part. <laughs> so, and I'm used to it now. I think I've incorporated that in my pieces now. You know, like I actually like it. Yeah.、Uh, so I don't think moving and playing instrument is weird anymore. But I know I when I first got the job in 2006, I had to play an opera. It's Alaskan opera by Matthew Bertner because he's Alaskan. And so what? It's a Yupik drum. It's an Alaskan drum. I've never played it before, and、mm-hmm. I have to dance with it. And then he said,、like, "Just improvise and dance and and get this cool lighting." And I was like. Okay, and I guess start from that point on. I always with oh yeah here dance oh here move and <laughs> okay and yeah and now I play a lot of ice and snow、mm. and water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I work a lot with Matthew Bernard. Yeah, and yeah, because he's like a, a you know Alaskan and then definitely a activist for you know the weather change, the climate.、Yeah. Um, so that's why a lot of his multimedia、uh, opera as like talk about the、like, glacier and you know yeah. So I. I play snow. He just have to make a lot of like <laughs> shaved ice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he when when he want me to do the pieces, yeah.、Um, yeah. So I definitely it's just fun. Yeah, it's funny. Like my son will be like, "Oh, mommy, I have an idea. Have you played this thing before?" I say, "Yeah, I've done that." 
He's like, really? Okay. And then he would try to like see if there's things I haven't played. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the cool thing is like with, um, you know, John Cage, uh, Chop Tree, we made a family event. Like, because every time I try to find like instrument for that piece, the kid, I was like, oh, I'm doing a Chop the Tree again. And they were like, oh, okay. So when they go on walk, they start like, finding plans that make sounds for me. Say, mommy, doesn't this work? And I'll bring back like, mommy, how's this one? So it's kind of cool. I like that. It's like a, like a family event when I have to yeah. play Child the Tree. Oh, that's great. That's hilarious. <laughs> awesome. All right, Ejen, last question. What one piece of art, whether it's uh, music or movies, books or podcasts, YouTube, uh, theater, visual art, poetry, anything, has impacted you the most recently? It's the piece that Christopher Dean wrote for me. Mm. Um, because I premiered it in 2003, and now I haven't played it for a while. But um, we had to we did we did a memorial concert celebration concert for him. Yeah, and he requested he requested me play that piece for him uh, for the concert and. It just a lot of memory came back, you know. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't the birthday gift that he gave me because we have the same birthday. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like when I was twenty-two, he was exactly forty-four. Ah. Uh. Yeah, and that was my birthday gift when I was twenty-two. He was forty-four. Yeah, and then it's called uh, "Bones of Drunken." And so it was in a way fitting for the concert because it's about, uh, they were saying this, the poem is like, you know, the dead is not necessarily bad because the people who are still living, it's actually having a more difficult time. So don't worry about the dead or don't be sad about the dead. Yeah. And, you know, like he, he actually told me in our last conversation, and like I'm okay with this, you know, and and I'm he just very glad that he has met so many people and got inspired with by so many colleagues and students and he he had a great life and he he was okay with it, you know, and and he also told me to finish editing the piece. Uh, so it can get published by Musicon publication. It's been that many years. He tried to publish and never did it. So we are working on that. But recently, that's definitely the piece that in my head a lot. So much fun getting to chat with Ejen for this interview. I was thrilled to get to meet up with her at PASIC. She had very kind words to say about the podcast and our conversation, which I greatly appreciated. And I wish her the best for her and her family going forward. And I look forward to our paths crossing again soon. This week's Brave is once again due to the greatness of the cable TV channel Turner Classic Movies, and it is the films of the late great actor, writer, and martial arts expert, Bruce Lee. 
I've often talked about my love of Turner Classic Movies, and it came to the rescue once again through their focus on Bruce Lee every Saturday night this past November. Host Jacqueline Stewart, who's awesome, had on actor and martial artist Mark DeCoscos to talk more about Bruce's legacy as an icon, an actor, and a martial artist, and why he is so important. On my end, while I've been a big fan of Bruce Lee's for a long time, and have seen several documentaries about him and clips of his frequently, I never actually watched any of his films straight through, so I caught three of his most popular. Fist of Fury from 1972, The Way of the Dragon, also from 1972, and Enter the Dragon from 1973. The plots of these movies are, to be fair, not super duper important to the whole scheme, but they essentially set up the conflicts that end up leading to the greatness of Bruce Lee as a fighter. So some highlights. For Fist of Fury... The plot is simply a young man seeks vengeance for the death of his teacher. What you get is a lot of scenes where Bruce is having to take on legions of folks in massive fight sequences, particularly in a dojo sequence that is his first major fight of the film. And what you get right off the bat is the speed and technique that were spectacular from Bruce Lee. Part of the reason that he was so popular was because of that speed and the detail in his fight choreography. Things happen so fast and so fluidly that it is literally a thing of beauty even as he's kicking the crap out of someone. It's all there. Additionally, this film had a point where it discussed the nature of racism within Asian countries, and it manifested itself in a way that showcased how the racism within martial arts bothered Bruce Lee so much when he was alive because he wanted martial arts to transcend race and people as it did throughout his life. Number two in the way of the dragon, this plot places Bruce in Rome to defend relatives that have a Chinese restaurant in Rome there. He's a fish out of water for much of the film and he really has to fight a lot throughout but no more so than a scene towards the end where he's fighting a very young Chuck Norris at the end of the film at the Roman Colosseum, of all places, or some facsimile of it. In any case, through fast and slow motion, you get to see the master in action with speed and sound effects galore. It's so captivating. And lastly, Enter the Dragon, the most famous of his films, which includes a lot of styles of martial arts, in the form of an island that houses a fighting tournament. It's also the only one released while he was alive that was in English. I was quite familiar with one of the scenes from this film, one where he fights a person named O'Hara, and I swear to you that there are punches and kicks thrown in this scene. You have no idea that they're coming. They move so fast. And there are other fight scenes, which includes a Hall of Mirrors scene against the main villain, whose name is Han, and who fights with a metal claw hand. That's all great. One last item. A great part of this whole presentation on Turner Classic Movies is that Dacascos, as a martial artist and actor himself, who had champion parents in the martial arts field, provides a fantastic narrative that describes the different types of martial arts, film acting and how they interact, and why Bruce Lee is such an icon 
for Asian actors like himself. I have to say, just check out all of Bruce's movies as they're on various streaming platforms. And one more hurrah for Turner Classic Movies, the gift that keeps on giving. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud and Spotify and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time for more of my interviews with folks who performed at ASIC 2023. Until then.